Amen. Well, I've uh, I've preached sick before. It's not it's not always fun, but uh, but I really am excited about preaching Genesis one. So I didn't want to miss this sermon. Mitch told me he said even if it's you know half hour before the service, if you want to let me know, I'll be ready to preach. And I know some of our elders would be willing to step in. But I wasn't going to give this one up because I really really want to preach here on Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter. 1, verses 6 to 25, we started a new sermon series at the beginning of this year, which was last Sunday, first Sunday of the year, and uh, we looked at just the first five verses of the Bible, verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> Today we're going to go to the next section, which is the rest of creation up to human beings. We're going to save human beings for next Sunday, which is providential because next Sunday is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Believe it or not. So it all worked out perfectly here for us. Uh, but what we see here in chapter 1, verses 6 to 25, is that God prepares a perfect and good home. A perfect and good home for us. Uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we saw that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The, word, the world was formless and void. Um, so we have a watered world. We have the Holy Spirit uh, ho- hovering over the waters. We have the Word that's spoken. Let there be light, and light enters into the world. That's where we left it off. And now we see order being brought out of the chaos and a home being formed for us. I remember for a while, a long time, I wanted to build a log cabin. Uh, it was sort of my dream. Uh, I wanted to, I actually you know, bought different things. You get these kits uh, that you can build a whole log cabin. You buy a piece of land out there in New Hampshire or Maine, uh, put together a log cabin, and I uh, started buying magazines, trying to figure out how to do this. And I came to the conclusion, this is far too much work. <laughs> it's far too much work to do it. I don't have the skill set to do it. I don't have the time and the energy. I wouldn't mind just buying a log cabin all built. Um, that would be much more easy. I have friends who did it. And it is beautiful. It's a place in Maine, and it's a, just a beautiful log cabin built exactly the way they wanted it to. Beautiful piece of property, and it's, it's gorgeous. But not going to go down that road. It's just too much work. I love my home now, anyway. So I, uh, I have a townhouse. Um, it has sort of the open concept. Uh, so we can all be in, all four of us and my family could be in different rooms, and yet it still feels like we're all together. There's woods in the back, so there's a lot of privacy. It, it is literally my favorite place to be on this planet is to be in my home. Um, Love my home. But home, of course, is a broader concept than just a house. (laughs) Uh, Massachusetts, or for many of us, New Hampshire, is our home. We'll say New England. New England is our home. Uh, Not just our house, but New England's our home. Or the United States of America, for most of us. This is our home. Probably all of us, I think. This is home for us. And we can even broaden it to say, this world... (laughs) This whole world is our home. And it's a home that is fitting perfectly for us. It didn't happen by chance. It happened because God made this world in such a way that is our fitting home. And I think the only right response then to what God has made and built is to thank Him. Thank God for preparing a perfect and good home for us. Look with me at Genesis chapter 1. Verses 6 through 25, and you can look in your Bibles if you want, or we'll have it on the screen. And as always, we'll have a breakdown. It's in the bulletin as we walk through it. And we read this And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, 
and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed in fruit trees, bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. As I said, there's an outline in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. But we thank God for preparing for us a perfect and good home. A perfect and good home for us. Uh, we see here in the first section that God prepares a good home fitting for life. Fitting for life. Uh, God forms the physical world that we live in for us. This is before any life existed outside of God. This is it. That's all there is in this universe is stuff without any actual living life. And God again uses speech to create. Uh, God simply makes it out of nothing. Ex nihilo is the word. He creates by simply saying for it to be. And in doing so, he brings order out of the chaos. Uh, God separates water from below the earth from water that is above the earth. And you might hear that and say, what is he talking about there? (laughs) Uh, Water above the earth, water from below the earth. Uh, And some people have said they believe, that the ancients believed there were just big oceans in the sky or something like that. Uh, Actually, what he's saying makes perfect sense. He's talking about an atmosphere. (laughs) 
He's talking about clouds, rain clouds, things that are in the sky uh, that water the earth. So that there's a water cycle. Uh, and you might say, well, I mean, how much water is really above us? A lot. A lot of water. Actually, I was uh, looking into it. One inch of rain falling over an area of one square mile um, drops about 17.4 million gallons of water. That much water would weigh 143 million pounds. So there's a lot of water above us. So what happens in, verse, in this first section, verse 6, is God creates an atmosphere. He creates clouds. He creates a world that is closer and closer to be fitting for life. Uh, he creates a heaven or sky. Uh, he ends the second day of creation, and now we have a water cycle. Uh, he separates the seas from the land. Um, so now you have dry earth. And again, interestingly enough, this is exactly what modern science would tell us, that the world was covered in water until volcanic activity created the movement of tectonic plates and land appeared out of nowhere. Um, that's what basically happened. Actually, I was interested in that, and I looked up, I read this. This is from Science Daily. And uh, just listen to what he says here. Uh, the continents emerged, this is the latest theory. And again, science is constantly changing uh, of, you know, their theories, and that's what it's supposed to do, continually studying and learning and changing. But I just thought this was the latest theory. It was interesting. The continents emerged relatively suddenly from an ocean that covered 95% of the Earth's surface, according to a new, new theory by Eldridge Moores, a geologist of the University of California. The appearance of large masses of dry land would have caused more extreme weather, changes in ocean currents, and the emergence of proper seasons. In turn, these environmental changes may have led to rise in atmospheric oxygen that enabled the explosion of new life forms. That was from Science Daily. Sounds a little bit like what we're reading here. Uh, I think in some ways it's funny that this is about a 4,000-year-old text that kind of explains what science is sort of coming around to kind of dis- to, to, to see. Reminds me of a, a famous quote from an astronomer, uh, Robert Jastrow, who said, that For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> God has already said this is exactly how it happened. Uh, but notice each time he says that it is good. It is good. In fact, he says it not just in this section, but all throughout. He said it in our verses 1 through 5. In verse 4 he said it. Verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, verse 25, verse 31. He looks at his creation and sees that it is good. Uh, See, it's one thing to say that the creation is perfect. And it is. It's a perfect creation for us. It's actually saying something more, though, to say that it's good. That's a moral statement. I mean, you can have a perfect triangle. That's not necessarily good. It just is what it is. It's perfect, but it's not good. But God looks at his creation and says that it's actually a good thing. It's perfect and fitting for us, but it's not neutral. It's good. And I think it's important to note here that goodness is determined by God, not by us. And we like to sort of make value judgments. We look at something and say, that's a good painting, or that's a good car. Um, And we like to sort of put that label on different things, but that's not really what determines whether something is truly good or morally good. God determines what's good. And when he looks at his creation, he says, it is good. It's just love, love God's goodness. (laughs) God is good. 
Uh, it's, it's who he is. It's not just what God does. God doesn't just do good things, although he does always do good things. Whatever he says, whatever he does is good, but he is good. It's his character. In fact, our understanding of goodness comes from the fact that we're made in the image of God, and so we evaluate things as a sort of shadow of his understanding of what is good. God only makes good things. <laughs> Evil and sin and all that is coming. We're going to get to that, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks. But understand, when he made this universe, he made it good. Uh, this is pretty distinct from Greek philosophy, uh, which basically said that the world is all evil and bad, and our souls are imprisoned in this world, and just waiting to sort of escape the physical matter world and escape into a sort of an ethereal heaven. <laughs> That's not the picture we get in the Bible. Quite differently, actually. When we look at the world God has made, we're meant to enjoy it. We're meant to see it as a good thing. When you you know, sort of look at a purple sky. I know, a couple weeks ago, we had a really purple sky. And you see that. It's beautiful, and it's meant to draw our hearts to praise. When you get out and look at the blue ocean, which we live so close to, you know, it's a, what, 20-minute ride to the beach. It's beautiful. It's good. God made it to be beautiful and made it good. When you get a chance to get out to the mountains, you know, climb Mount Washington or whatever it is, or at least go drive up it and take a look at it. It is good. And God made it for our enjoyment. Verses 11 to 19, God prepares the plants and seasons for more life. (laughs) So he prepares the plants and the seasons in preparation for what's to come, for more life to come. So look what we see here. Uh, Now comes the plants and the lights. Now that we have sky... (laughs) An atmosphere. Now that we have water and land, we have sort of separations here, then comes plants, which makes sense because plants are necessary as food for everything else, for higher life forms. So the next comes day four. God creates, uh, after creating the plants, all different types of plants and trees and bushes with all different types of fruit and seed. Then he creates the lights in the sky to separate day from night. And what is the purpose of these lights in the sky? He says it determines the seasons, the days, the years. It accounts for the passage of time. And namely, especially, he creates these two great lights, the sun and the moon. Uh, now, you, you might be saying, if, if you're taking this all extremely literally, you, you might be wondering, well, he created the heavens in verse 1. So that's already planets and stars and so forth, right? And he created light in day, I'm sorry, he created heavens in verse 1, he created light in day 1. So if there's already light, where's the light coming from? And if there's already heavens, what's he talking about here? I think this is probably the best explanation I've heard. Um, It's all sort of written from our point of view, uh, meaning from Earth's point of view looking outward. So before there's a sort of a real atmosphere, there is no sun, there's no moon, there's no stars, there's no passage of seasons because from our perspective, it's all covered. There's there's nothing to be seen. It's kind of like when you hear, doesn't the Bible teach that the sun revolves around the Earth? And the answer is no. It talks about the sun rising and the sun setting because from our perspective, that's exactly what happens. It doesn't say that we revolve around it. That's not the concern of the scriptures. From our perspective, the sun rises, the sun falls. Same thing with a flat earth when it talks about the ends of the earth. We say, well, how can it have ends if, if it's a globe? Uh, well, that's from our perspective. It's traveling far from where we are to, to distant lands. That's what's going on. So from our perspective, now you have a sun. Now you have a moon. Now you have stars that can be viewed from our planet. You know, it's interesting, though, that God is the creator of these things. Uh, Because when you think of the sun, for example, 
Uh, the sun was worshipped throughout most of human history. Um, the sun was recognized to be um, the, the, the chief god of the Egyptians, Ra. And when they saw the sun in the sky, they believed the sun itself was God. Or, you think of the Greeks, uh, Apollo, the national deity of Greece, was the sun god. <laughs> How different, friends, when we look at the scriptures, and the sun is a mere stroke of his paintbrush. Not only is God not equated with the sun, uh, the sun is just one little part, one little tiny piece of the creation of a God who is so great that he made all things. Again, he's creating a life, um, a home here for us as he prepares this world from chaos to order. I like the, the, the moon. <laughs> you have the moon here. They got a picture of the moon. Uh, I, I love the moon. Uh, anyone love the moon? She love the moon. Good. All right. The moon is, is not only beautiful, and like it said, it creates light for night because the sun shines on the moon. And at nighttime, we can see the moon, not the sun, and so it provides some degree of light. But again, the moon itself is, is sort of a miracle, believe it or not. Um, I, I, did you get this quote, Josh? Okay, good. All right. So this comes from, um, I thought this was really interesting, a book called Miracles by Eric Metaxas. And I have it on the screen here. And this is what Eric Metaxas says about the moon. Uh, so just think about how, how perfect a home God is creating for us. Uh, the moon's considerable gravity gives our oceans their ebbing and flowing tides. If the moon were slightly bigger, it would cause our tides to be much more extreme, since a larger moon would, of course, exert that much more gravitational pull. With 100-foot tides, there would be no coastal cities or towns or villages. If the moon were slightly smaller and had less gravitational pull, the tides would be insufficient to cleanse coastal seawater and replenish its nutrients. If the moon were any size other than the size it is, life as we know it wouldn't exist. The size of the moon and its distance from the earth are also responsible for stabilizing earth's rotational axis. If it were not stable or were not at its current optimal angle, we could not be here. Without earth's tilt, we would not have our seasons. It's interesting that the moon creates seasons and our temperatures would be much less stable. So if the moon weren't precisely the right size and distance from Earth, our rotational axis would have changed over the eons, making terrestrial life quite out of the question. God creates a perfect moon for a perfect home that is good for his people. I want to bring up this question. Because if you've done any research sort of on, on Genesis 1, if you ever studied it, this is a common question. Um, do each of these things actually take place in a day? Do they actually take place in a 24-hour period? That's a difficult question. <laughs> so I'm going to give you the different perspectives real quick, and then I'll give you mine. All right? So uh, just first of all, the word used for day is the Hebrew word yom. Um, it can mean, there's been a lot of debate over the word yom. Yom can mean a 24-hour day. And it often does. Sometimes it means less than 24 hours. The day and the night. The yom and the night. So it even means less than 24 hours. But it can certainly mean that. It can also mean an undefined period of time. Back in my day. right? Uh, we're going to tell our grandkids, for those who are younger here, uh, that we grew up watching uh, 
Tom Brady. So back in the day of Tom Brady, right? That's what we're going to tell our grandkids for those who are younger here because he's so great. Uh, so what do we have here, friends? A day can mean, certainly mean a time period, a long time period, and it can mean a 24-hour day. So this can certainly mean six literal days. Absolutely. In fact, some people say, well, how come the world appears to be so old? Um, and my response to that is, because Adam had a belly button. And you might say, what does that have to do with anything, Rick? <laughs> Did Adam have a belly button? Well, if he was created as an adult, he would have no need for a belly button, right? But he probably appeared to be a 20-something-year-old man. Uh, everything about him, the length of his hair, uh, the, the fact that he probably had a belly button, everything about his body looked as if he had appeared to be 20-something years old, or however old he appeared to be. And so it could be with the universe. God creates it in motion. Uh, He creates it with the appearance of age because that's the only way it would be in a functioning condition for us to live. That's one view. Certainly has a biblical precedent to say, makes sense. Others have said, no, these days refer to ages. Um, And this was Augustine, the early theologian, who also believed this, that these days referred to whole ages. There's an age on day two, an age on day three, an age on day four, an age on day five. Uh, That is probably the most historically taken view. The idea of six literal days is newer. This is probably over church history, the more more, uh, historically taken one. And another view is, this is just structured poetry. It's showing an orderly organized creation by God. It's not meant to be taken purely literally. It's meant to show that God has put together a perfect home for us. The science questions had nothing to do with what God is trying to do. Want to hear my view? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Uh, But here's what I'll say. I think that there's a lot of room for charity here. Uh, That the Bible is not super clear that it has to be one or the other. I think there's a lot going for different views. And we can be open to say you can be a Bible-believing Christian, evangelical Christian, and disagree on this particular issue. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't think that's the main question. I don't think the main concern here is how long it took for God to do it. It's that God did do it, and he did it in an orderly way. Uh, What really matters, I think, is not whether we know the science and not know the Creator. The real question is, do we know the Creator, whether or not we know the specifics of the science, right? Do we know the one who has made it all? But friends, notice now you have life after this section. You have life, and we're called to enjoy life. There's a big gap, I think, from what we read earlier about water and land and sky, and now Plants, which means life exists all over the place. We're surrounded by it. Uh, Living things that are not God. Uh, God can create things that are alive and not Him. Uh, Again, God is not everything. God can make things, and He made things that are truly alive. Things that predate us as human beings, whether by days or by ages or whatever you take it. I, I learned recently that our bodies are, we have we have 10 times more bacteria than we have human cells. 10 times more bacteria and our good bacteria. We need it to live and survive. Our bodies are made up of millions and millions, actually billions and billions of little tiny bacteria that we need to live. They're living, actual living things that are necessary for us to survive. That's amazing. <laughs> That's incredible. An incredible creation. Uh, stop and, and smell the roses. Look at things. Look at the trees that he has put together. They're beautiful. 
They're amazing, especially here in New England, although everything's brown right now, right? It's not even white yet. It's just brown. Uh, those who are into gardening, you know, I think that's a, a noble hobby. You're, you're looking at his creation and enjoying the beauty of what he's made, or those who like to hike and get out there and see it all. You know, there's two reactions we can, see, we can have, I think, when we see all this. We can have a very self-focused act, uh, view. Well, that's cool. I enjoy that. I like this. I don't like this. And it's all about us and what we particularly prefer. Or we can look at his creation and say, God is glorious. He is amazing as a creator. Look what he has put together. We can draw our hearts to thankfulness and to praise. And then in 20 to 25, God prepares a home filled with fruitful life. Filled with fruitful life. Again, we aren't, we're not even going to get to human beings yet. That comes next week, Lord willing. But what happens in verses 20 to 25, look with me. He creates the animals. Intelligent, sentient life on this planet. Uh, he creates water animals first. Swarms of, uh, with life. Uh, the whole oceans are filled with life as well. We haven't even discovered all the life that lives in the ocean. Uh, most of the oceans are not discovered, by the way, even today. Uh, from the little tiny things like krill and shrimp and all the different forms of fish and sharks and whales. All of these great creatures of the ocean God puts together. And then the birds that fly above us from swallows to finches to robins to owls and falcons and hawks and eagles. All the birds that fill our earth. Then the next day he creates the land animals from cats and dogs and horses and reptiles and amphibians. So... If you hate snakes, sorry, but snakes and lizards are created good. (laughs) They're good. God said they were good. He saw them at the end of this day and said, it is good. So lizards are good. Snakes are good. And God rules over all of it. And that was very countercultural. I had mentioned the sort of other creation account um, from... uh, Last week, here's another one. It's called the Atrahasis Epic, 1700 BC. And in that view, there were three primary gods. Three primary gods. One, uh, Anu rules the heaven, the sky. Another, Enlil, he rules the earth. And then Enki rules the water. In the Bible, you have none of that. There is one God, and he rules over everything. Over all the spheres of life, the sky, the seas, and the land. He's its creator, and he's its sovereign God over everything. He commands, it says here, for them to be fruitful and multiply. And you might say, well, how does he command that? (laughs) I mean, how do they, they can't hear it, they can't respond to that. Uh, He commands it in such a way that by instinct and by nature, all of creation wants to reproduce, wants to be fruitful and multiply, each according to its kind. I think that's an important phrase there. Uh, A dog can't breed with a cat. (laughs) Cat can't breed with an alligator. Alligator can't breed with a bird, right? So there's some distinction here that God creates each thing according to its kind. Um, If you take one male dog and one female dog and you give them a few thousand years, they'll fill the world with dogs and all different types of dogs. You'll have St. Bernard's and Chihuahuas and all different types. You will never have a cat. (laughs) You can give it a million years, you're never going to get a cat. Eventually, over many, many years of adaptations, you'll get this. If we have it. You don't have it? Teddy. That dog right there. That's my dog. That's why. I had to show that picture off. So you get my beautiful little rat terrier snuggling with me there. I just wanted to show you that picture, really. That's what I really wanted to do. That was the whole point of that illustration. I wish it was a little... It was, I should have been clearer. 
But friends, uh, the earth is really big. It's really big, and God has given us a lot of room for a lot of life. A lot of room for a lot of life. Enjoy the fruitful world that God has given us. Uh, We share this world. We share it with animals who were before us, even if it's just a day or earlier part of the day. Uh, They matter to God. God cares for them. Learn from them. If you get a chance, just look over the Bible and realize how many times the animals are used as an example to us. Again and again. The world is filled with all different types. Let me give you some examples. Um, Proverbs 6, 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. The ant's a diligent, hard-working little creature. Never stops working. You take a little ant uh, hill, you step on it, and you know, mix it all up. What does the ant do? Does it take any minute to say, Oh, man, you ruined my home. Nope, it just starts, okay, start building again in the bin. Again, it's a constant little worker. Proverbs 30, 24. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants, again, I think Solomon had something for ants. He really liked ants. Our people, not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. He's saying there's something to learn from all of these creatures. Isaiah 65, 25, the animals are used as a picture of heaven, a picture of the new creation. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. How many people have already heard of the, the lion and the lamb? It's not in the Bible. It's, it's the wolf and the lamb. I don't know how it got changed over time, but it's the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. What about Jesus? Jesus did the same thing, Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Matthew 10, again, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, Jesus said, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. And of course, sheep with their shepherd are used again and again in the Bible to describe our relationship with God. Friends, be be at awe at the mystery, (laughs) at the absolute mystery of the creation of God and what God has made. It is a beautiful creation. Think, think of the depths of the oceans. From the, the blue whale. The blue whale is 190 tons. It, it's nearly 100 feet long. And it is the largest animal known to have ever existed. Did you know that? Bigger than any dinosaur, bones, we've ever, anything. And it still lives today. Or think of the colossal squid. <laughs> This colossal squid. Um, the most elusive creature on the planet. We only have, have eight of them. We've only discovered eight colossal squid in all of our, our study and of our history. Six of them were in the belly of a whale. So only two outside of that. They're 46 feet long. They weigh 1,650 pounds. And as I said, only a few have ever been found. Or think of the megalodon. <laughs> uh, if you don't know what the megalodon is, it's an extinct species of shark. It was, it looked like the great white, 
but it was 59 feet long. <laughs> Imagine that. And it was the apex predator of the sea that fed on whales. I mean, think about how amazing God's creation truly is. He's filled this world with wonder and beauty and goodness. This is not a minimalist home for us. It's filled with goodness and grandeur. Learn from the animals and magnify God for the beauty of what he has made. All this is meant as home. Friends, thank God for preparing a perfect and good home for us. Uh, you know, it's neat. as We still call this world creation. So we call it creation. Which speaks about, of course, a creator. <laughs> Creatures are created by God. So even your non-Christian friends and neighbors, if you said creation, they know what you're talking about. All that exists. And I think it's a little bit of the imprint of our creator. Uh, show that car, Josh. Uh, who built that? Oh, what is that? What is that? What car is that? That's a Ford Model T. You know why it's called a Ford? Because the guy who built it was named Ford, right? Of course, Henry Ford. Uh, do you know who started Chrysler? Mr. Chrysler, you got it right. Walter Chrysler. Who, start, who started Toyota? Uh, Hichiro Toyota. That's who started it. He put his imprint of his name right into his company. Uh, who started Dodge? Uh, you might have thought Dodge wasn't a name. No, it is. John and Horace Dodge. Honda was started by Soichiro Honda. Who started General Motors? Not Mr. Motors. Sorry. That one doesn't fit. That's an exception to it. William Durant is the one who started that. <laughs> when God created this world, it is his creation. And it bears the imprint of our creator. Before we even get to human beings, which Lord willing we'll talk about next week, we have a world full of wonder in life that reveals the greatness of our Creator. Would you pray with me? Well, our gracious God in heaven, thank you so much for your word, which gives us clarity and understanding and direction as we look at and live in this beautiful world you've given us. Lord, I pray that this morning, I know we're all dealing with different issues, whether it's sickness or grief over the loss of a loved one or perhaps an issue we're facing at work. But help us, Lord, to draw our hearts to worship our Creator who demonstrates His great love for us in the detail and the beauty of what He has made. And Lord, we know, of course, that Your love for us did not end with creation. Your love for us is shown most eminently and most clearly and most powerfully at the cross of Christ in which our Savior died for us. So Lord, I pray that not only we would look to you as our creator, but look to you as our redeemer, who through your Son have made us your own. Yes, Lord, we live in a fallen world which comes with sickness and death and all of its struggles, but we serve a Savior who will one day return and right all that is wrong and fix all that is broken. And we put our hope in him. Encourage our hearts, Lord. Equip us as your people to be faithful witnesses for Jesus, Lord, who love you and want to know you more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.